Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 32, if you have your Bibles, is where I'm going. I want to take today a non-traditional, if you will, a very non-traditional approach to Thanksgiving. Is that okay? I'm going to do something a little untraditional. I want to take a non-traditional approach to Thanksgiving, and I want to take a non-traditional approach to my style of preaching as well. It'll be a little bit different maybe today than, than usual. But I want to take a look at today something that has, has given me a reality check, if you will. Have you ever, ever had a reality check in life before? Ever been surprised by God before? <laughs> He's tricky. He, he will surprise you. He will catch you off guard. He will give you suddenly moments. And uh, I've had a couple of those this week, so I want to share about those. But I want to, like I said, I want to do a little bit, a little bit untraditional message, a little bit untraditional Thanksgiving approach, so I'll prepare you for that. But as I said, in the past two weeks, I've had multiple surprised by God moments. They jolted me, if you will, into reality. I've went through, and I've actually, this is the first time I've, I've actually ever done this, written out scripted out my message, written it out word for word, because it, I, was, I was that impacted by what's happened this week. I didn't want to miss a thing. I didn't want to leave out a detail. So I've went out and I've went through and I've, and I've detailed these things out. And so I hope that you'll bear with me. Like I said, it'll be a little bit different. But, but the, the experiences, as I said, that I had this week, the surprise by God moments jolted me and gave me a desperate wake-up call for our church. Desperate wake-up call jolted me to my core. And I'll, I'll share these life-altering, definitely life-altering moments with you. And I think that as I do that, you'll understand a little bit more of why I'm preaching what I'm preaching today and the approach that I'm taking. The first moment occurred this past Wednesday night in service. The service was progressing as normal, as a normal midweek <laughs> refreshing would progress. <laughs> And during the service, I felt like the Lord say to me to take time to pray for those who needed healing. Again, that's not unusual for a Wednesday night or even in our church to pray for those who needed healing. But I sensed an unusual urgency in the room and what we were praying for. We even conducted the time of prayer for healing a little bit differently than how I normally would because there was something stirring in my inner man as we were doing this. It was unique. As we began to pray for people, one of the ladies that had come down for prayer, uh, and again, not always do I do this, but I was asking what they needed healing for. And as we're going through praying for people for healing, one of the ladies who was here for prayer said that she was here in town because her mother had just been murdered. This hit me at my core. Here is a young lady at Thanksgiving is dealing with the loss of her mother who died not because she had lived a long life, not because she lived a fulfilling life, but she was murdered and was under the age of 40, and she was murdered in our city. I have to say it jolted me. It shocked me, jolted me to my core. 
And it was probably compounded by something that had happened earlier in the week that jolted me as well. I'll share that story. On Monday morning, I was here in the office preparing for um, one of my regular Monday morning meetings. As I was preparing in the office, a gentleman with nice clothes walked in. He had a very serious look on his face. And as he walked into the office, I noticed he had a badge on, and so I knew he was a police officer before he opened his mouth. And he introduced himself as a detective with the Akron Police Department. And he was asking if he could see our security camera footage. And, and I had told him, I, you know, that this was a new system and walked through, I, you know, I'm still learning how to work it all and figure it all out, but it's been very helpful for us already. And yes, we'd love to be accommodating as much as possible. And I'm scratching my head wondering why in the world does an Akron detective want to look at our security footage on a Monday morning? And so we're walking through the building and we have a rental going on at that time, uh, a, a a school rental is here. We have students all over, and he's walking me through the, or I'm walking him through the building, and he's telling me what's happening. And he begins to tell me about uh, at 2:58 a.m. on Monday morning that a young lady decided that life was just a little too overwhelming, and she needed to end it all. And at about 2:38 a.m., she pulled onto our property, parked next to our building, walked out down Route 8, and jumped off the bridge overlooking the valley. My heart, again, sank. I was jolted, again, to reality. Here was a woman, young woman, who we saw on our surveillance video, parking her car on our church parking lot, young, walking past our building, down Route 8, and knew that she had jumped off the building. Pastor, why are you telling us all this? This isn't a good Thanksgiving message. It shocked me to my core because I thought, here we are, a church on Dan Street. Are we impacting our generation? Here's a woman who parked on our property. Did she encounter the love of God while she was here? I mean, I realized that no one was here, but, but it shocked me to my core. Are we sharing the love of Christ with our community? Are we just doing a few good acts of service through Night of Hope? Are we just doing a a couple of good deeds? Are we having some good services? Are we feeling good about ourselves? Or are are we really living out what we're asking God for? You see, when we ask God for revival, are we really living that out? Because revival affects not just the church inside the four walls, it affects how we live outside the four walls. It, it causes us to come alive to God in a way that we've never been before. And it causes us to reach people who are dead and bring the life of God to them. It causes us to reach out to the hurting and to the broken. Do we truly mean what we say when we ask God for revival? Do we truly mean what we say when we say, Lord, awaken our region, awaken this community? Life, my friend, is a slippery slope. That's the title of today's message, Slippery Slope. Life is a slippery slope. One minute we are in this life, standing on what we believe to be a firm foundation, and the next we are sliding into eternity. Here was a woman, she was on our property, missed an opportunity to know God. Deuteronomy 32 verse 35 is where we'll start. This is what it says. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. Talking about a slippery slope. And this verse is threatened the vengeance of God 
on the wicked, unbelieving Israelites that were God's visible people. They lived under a means or a season of grace. The expression here, their foot shall slip, is implied the following things. And I want to take a look at it by, by the phrase, their foot shall slip in due time. One, the wicked are always exposed to destruction. As one who walks in slippery places is also always exposed to fall. Psalm 73, 18 says, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Number two, it implies that the wicked are always exposed to sudden unexpected destruction. As one who would walk in slippery places cannot know when he or she will fall, it is, as in this verse, Psalm 73, 19 says this, Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed. Another thing that this verse in Deuteronomy implies is that the wicked are liable to fall of themselves and they don't need any help. Their own weight causes them to be weighed down and throws them off and causes them to slide in eternal judgment. Number four, the reason why the wicked have not already fallen and slidden into hell is only one reason, and that is because God's appointed time has not yet come. The scripture uses the phrase in due time, or in the Hebrew, appointed time, their foot shall slide. In other words, their foot will slip according to their own weight, and at that moment, God will no longer hold them up. They will fall to their utter destruction. My observation in this verse is this. There is nothing that keeps the wicked at any moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. By this, the pleasure of God, I mean that it is His sovereign will, it is His choosing, it is His determination that holds them up, keeps them upright until His mercy is removed and they fall them, find themselves sliding and falling into an eternal hell where they cannot rescue themselves. There is no lack of power in God to cast wicked men into hell at any moment. The strongest man has no power to resist God, and no man can deliver another out of the hands of God. God is not only able to cast wicked men into hell, but He can easily do it. Sometimes earthly rulers have a great difficulty in subduing a rebellion or subduing people, but God, nothing is impossible. He is able to subdue, subdue His enemies. There is no defense against the power of God. Though men were to join together and unite together against God and come against Him in great multitudes, God is able to destroy them and to dash them into great pieces. Nothing can stop the power of God. What are we to think that we could stand before God at whose rebuke the earth trembles and before Him rocks are thrown down? The wicked deserve to be cast into hell. So the divine justice may be complete. The justice of God calls loudly for infinite punishment of their sins. The sword of divine justice is hanging over their heads. And it's only the hand of God's mercy that keeps the sword back. The wicked are already under a sentence of condemnation to hell. The wicked not only justly deserve to be cast into hell. But the sentence of the law of God. The righteous law of God has already gone out against them. And is the eternal unchanging law that they would be condemned to hell. And spend eternity in eternal judgment. John 3.18 says this. But he who does not believe is condemned already. 
The wicked are objects of the full wrath and anger of God. And the reason why the wicked do not go to hell at every moment of every day is not because God is not angry with them and it is not because God is unaware of their wickedness. It is His mere mercy that sustains them and keeps them. It is not because God is unaware and doesn't resent it. It is that He holds His hand from cutting them off. The wrath of God towards them and their sin is burning against them. And the furnace has been made hot and ready to receive them. The flames of hell are now raging and glowing and ready to leap up and consume them. The sword of vengeance of God's wrath is hanging over them. And the pit of hell has been made ready for them to receive them. It is the mere pleasure of God that sustains them and keeps them out of eternal judgment. The devils stand ready to fall upon the wicked and seize them as their own at the moment that God will allow them. The wicked belong to the devil. He has their souls in his possession and under his dominion. The devils watch them. They're watching and always around, ready to seize upon the wicked, waiting for them like greedy lions who are ready to devour their prey and expect to have it. But at the mere present time, they are restrained by the mercy of God. But the minute that God would withdraw his hand from the wicked, the devils would attack them, would devour them, and drag their souls to hell. And if God would allow it, hell would swallow them up in a moment. Hellish principles are reigning in the evil nature of wicked man. And if it wasn't for the restraining hand of God, the evil nature of man would burst into full flame and consume the wicked person. In Isaiah 57 verse 20, it says, The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose water cast up dirt and mire. Job 38, 11, we see God asking Job, were you there? This, this statement is from God. Were you there when I said, this far you may come to the ocean or to the waves? Were you there when I said, this is how far you may come, but no farther? And here your proud waves must stop. These wicked principles that are reigning in evil man's nature are active and they are powerful and they are exceedingly violent. And if it were not for the restraining hand of God upon mankind, the evil in man's soul would burst into full flame, overtake them, and drag them to hell, a place of eternal judgment, fire, and burning sulfur where the flame does not die." Just because a wicked man does not see imminent death upon them, it is no security to them. Being in good health, not seeing imminent death, or any visible danger shows no evidence that a man is not on the brink of eternity and that his next step won't be into the another world. The unseen, unthought of ways that a person may suddenly go out of this life are innumerable. Wicked men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering. And the covering in many places is weak, and the very weight of man is enough to cause them to fall through. The arrows of death fly unseen, and there are many different ways of taking men out of this world and step into hell's flames, should God say. Wicked men's attempts to preserve their lives or the attempt of others to preserve their lives is, of course, no security to them either. Men's own wisdom is no security from death. Ecclesiastes 2.16 says, How does a wise man die? As the fool. All of men's wicked efforts to escape hell, all the while rejecting Christ, do not secure him from hell. A most Almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he will escape it. He depends on himself for his own security. 
He flatters himself and that what he has done, what he is doing, or what he will do will cause him to escape hell. He flatters himself in his schemes. He flatters himself that he won't fail. But they are trusting in nothing but shadows. There are millions, there are billions who have died before us, who have stepped into eternity, that have gone into hell. And I believe that if we were to speak with each of them who have died and gone to hell, they would tell us about the times when they heard of hell and when they rejected it. They would tell us of the times that they heard of God's mercy and did not listen. They would say, no, I never intended to come here. I had laid out plans otherwise. I thought I was a good person and I would handle this later in life. I would handle this before I died. But it came as a thief. Death outwitted me. God's wrath was too quick for me. I was flattering myself, pleasing myself with vain dreams of what I would do in the afterlife. And when I was saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction came upon me. God has not put himself under any obligation to keep men out of hell at any moment. God has made no promise to keep wicked men out of hell for any moment. He has made no provision for deliverance or preservation from eternal death outside of what is contained in the covenant of grace given to us in Christ. But the wicked have no interest in that covenant. They have no interest in the promises of God. They are not children of that covenant. They have no mediator of that covenant. They have no interest in that covenant. And thus, God is not obliged to maintain a promise with them that they have not enjoyed. God is under no obligation to keep the wicked at any moment from eternal destruction. They have deserved the fiery pit and already sentenced to it. And God is provoked. His anger is great towards the sinful man. And wicked man has done nothing to appease or to abate his anger. The devil is waiting for them. Hell is open wide for them. The flames have gathered and are leaping about them. The sword of vigilance is drawn above them. And they have no refuge They have nothing to hold them from slipping, and all that preserves them at the very moment is the mere forbearance of God towards their sin. What you have heard in these observations is the case of everyone who is outside of Christ. I didn't expect today you would be shouting hallelujah. The world of misery, the lake of burning sulfur is extended abroad under you. If you are here today or you're listening by the podcast and you are not in Christ, you are unconverted or you are religious and your heart is not ablaze for Christ, the world of the lake of burning sulfur has opened wide under you. There is a dreadful pit of glowing flames of the wrath of God that you are exposed to. Hell's mouth is wide open, ready to receive you and to devour you. And there is nothing that you may take hold of to keep you out of hell. There is nothing that stands between you and hell except a vapor. And it is only the mere pleasure and mercy of God that holds you up. You probably are not aware of this. You find that you are kept out of hell and you flatter yourself and think it's your own plans that have kept you from hell. But I tell you that if God were to withdraw His hand from you, that your vapor, your life would not avail, your efforts would not avail. It would be as a mere wind trying to sustain you or hold you up. Your wickedness 
is as heavy as lead and it is weighing you down towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and you would quickly slide and plunge into eternal judgment, into the bottomless lake of fire. And nothing you could do or say would have any influence to keep you out of hell, just as a thin spider's web would stop a falling rock. Were it not for God's mercy and his own desire, the earth would not bear you. The earth would not bear you any longer. You are a burden to it. The sun does not willingly shine upon you to give you light to serve sin and Satan. The earth does not willingly yield her increase to satisfy your lust. The air does not willingly serve you for breath to maintain your life while you spend your life serving God's enemies. God has subjected them to you and should he remove his sustaining hand, the earth would spew you out. There are black clouds of God's wrath hanging directly over your head and they are full of thunder. They are full of a storm and lightning and it is the mercy of God that holds it back and keeps it from breaking in on you. The fury of the hurricane of God's justice would consume you like chaff on a summer threshing floor if it wasn't for his mercy. The wrath of God is like great waters that are restrained for the present but they are increasing more and more and they are rising higher and higher until an outlet is given. The rapid and mighty river of God's judgment will overtake you. The flood of God's vengeance has been withheld, but your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing. Every day you are storing up the judgment of God against you. The waters of His wrath are continually rising and growing in strength. And the mercy of God has shut the floodgate of His wrath. But when His hand is removed, the waters of His judgment will come rushing in upon you. And if you are even 10,000 times as stronger as you are this day, the waters would still overtake you. And the wrath of God's fury against sin would destroy you. The bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow is made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart. The bow of his mercy or the bow of his judgment is straining against you and its desire is to be made drunk with your blood. All who have not been born again are made new in Christ, raised from the dead of a sinful state and brought new life. Those that are experiencing the life of God's glory, those that are not will experience everlasting destruction. However unconvinced of this truth you may be today, it is reality and it will come upon you suddenly. The God that holds you out of the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or an insect over the flame, abhors you and he is provoked against you. His wrath towards you burns like the fire. His eyes are pure and should not even bear you in his sight. You have offended him infinitely more than any other. It is his hand of mercy that has kept you out of hell. It is his mercy that you did not go to hell last night and that he suffered you to wake again in this world. There is no other reason why you have not slid into hell this morning since you have woke up except that the hand of God is on your life. There is no reason why you have not gone to hell since you have sit in the house of God this morning with sin in your life provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked presence in his house this morning. It is his mercy upon you. 
You are like the annoying cobweb in the corner of a home in which the owner takes a broom and removes it from the corner just as easily. God is able and inclined to remove you from his house and cast you into everlasting judgment. May the wicked sinner consider the fearful danger that you are in. Consider this morning that a great furnace of wrath has been ignited against you in a wide, bottomless pit of endless waves of torment are held open for you, and the wrath of God is provoked against you. You hang by a mere thread over the flames of eternal judgment, and the flames are leaping up, consuming the string that you are hanging by, and in any given moment, the thread will break, and you will fall into eternal judgment, torment, and despair." Consider the wrath and the danger that you are in today. Whose wrath is it? It is the wrath of the almighty, infinite, eternal, unchanging God. If it were only the wrath of man, it would be comparatively little. But this is the wrath of the King of Kings the absolute sovereign of all the universe, who is absolutely perfect and holy and just in all his ways. The person that rebels against an earthly ruler is subject to the most heinous of torments that human power can inflict. But the greatest of earthly suffering, the greatest of earthly torments inflicted by man cannot compare to the weakest of hell's fierceness against you. Consider the fierceness of his wrath that you are exposed to. Isaiah 59, 18 says, According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. Isaiah 66, 15 says, For behold, the Lord will come with fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Revelation 19:15 says he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of almighty God. These words are greatly terrible in and of themselves. We read of the fierceness, the fury, the hurricane of the wrath of his judgment. If scripture had only said the wrath of God, they would have implied great torment. However, Scripture doesn't leave it at the mere wrath of God. It says it is the great and exceeding wrath of God that will come on the wicked. Who can conceive or even begin to speak of the torment and the destruction these words carry with them? Just as God worked a great manifestation of His power in redeeming fallen man, He will work a great manifestation of His power in judgment against those whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life. Consider this verse as said, according to or in proportion to your sin, He will judge you. The fullness of God's wrath is against sin, and yet the intensity of His judgment will increase upon you as you find yourself ensnared to the chains of sin for hell and for all eternity. There will be no escape from His judgment. There will be no escape from your sin, and there will be no escape from your absolute misery. Just as the born again will take on the nature of Christ in heaven, in hell the wicked will continue in the nature of their father, the devil. The sinful change you carry in this life to your grave will hold you captive for all eternity as you suffer the fury of God's wrath. Your addictions will hold you captive. 
Your pride will hold you captive. Your lying and cheating will hold you captive. Your earthly successes will hold you captive. They will eternally remind you of the opportunities you had to repent. They will eternally remind you of why you are suffering. And eternally they will be conflicting your soul to act out more sin while you suffer its judgment. Consider this. That you are here in this world unconverted to Christ, consider that God will execute his fiercest judgment of his anger without hesitation against you in judgment in hell. At this time, his judgment is withheld because of mercy. But in that day, there will be no moderation. There will be no mercy. God will no longer stay the sword of his vengeance and you will suffer justice that your sin requires. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of His mercy. Today God stands ready to forgive through the sacrifice of His Son. But when the day of mercy has passed, your most desperate cries in vain will not save you. Just as it was when God shut Noah in the ark, Cries of the wicked outside did not save them, and the waters of the fierceness of the flood of his judgment rose upon them and overtook them. Isaiah 63.3 says this, For I have trodden them in my anger, and I have trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. It is quite impossible to understand the magnitude of this verse. To see those who are being utterly trampled under the vengeance of God. To hear their cries of misery as they spew out their pride and their rejection toward the risen Christ as judgment is executed. To smell the stench of their death and to witness their blood splatter on the righteous king as he tramples them. Consider the misery which will be inflicted upon you, that it might show what the wrath of God is. God has intended from before the beginning of creation to show His angels, men, and creation itself how excellent His love is and how terrible His wrath is. In His love and mercy, He has shown great forbearance towards sinners. And when the appointed time has come and His forbearance is removed, He will show forth His judgment and His wrath. When God arises against his enemies and displays his great judgment upon sin, he will call creation to behold the majesty of his power against sin. Just as the earth gave testimony of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, so the earth and its inhabitants will give testimony to the fierceness of God against sinners. So it will be with you if you continue in your unconverted state. The infinite might and majesty of God, the greatness of His power, will come upon you quickly. He will make you a spectacle of His judgment. He will show you to the creation itself and all the inhabitants of this world and demonstrate His fierceness of His wrath against you. Consider that His wrath is an everlasting wrath. It is extremely dreadful to think of his wrath even for one moment, but it is for eternity. It will last forever. There will be no end to this misery. 
You will look behind you and see nothing but suffering, fury, and judgment. You will look ahead of you and see nothing but torment and misery to come. You will be in absolute, utter despair, and nothing will mitigate the suffering against you. Your punishment will be infinite. Consider those that have died in sin many years ago, and they are to this day experiencing the wrath of God. Moment after moment, day after day, minute after minute, second after second, they are experiencing the endless torment of God's wrath and His fury towards sin. And the suffering will not end. And neither will it end for you if you continue in an unconverted state. There is reason to think that there are those in this congregation today that are now hearing this message that will be absolutely subjects of this misery to all eternity. We don't know who you are or what seat you sit in or what thoughts that you have. It may be that the persons that will suffer this judgment that are sitting here in the sanctuary today are now flattering themselves and their pride, promising themselves that they will escape the wrath of God. If we knew that there was one person in our congregation that was subject to this misery, what an awful thing we would consider. If we knew who it was, would we not cry over them, weep over them, warn them of coming judgment? Would we not remind them of hell's judgment and hell's fury against them? Would we not remind them of God's judgment to come? Would we not love them with the love of God? It would not be surprising if someone that was sitting in here today who thought that they were quiet and secure and their life was okay should awake tomorrow in eternal suffering. Those who continue in their natural man and should stay out of hell the longest will find yourself someday quickly engulfed in hell's flame. Swiftly and suddenly judgment will come upon you. Now you have an extraordinary opportunity. A day wherein Christ has flung the doors open wide. His mercy is standing in the door and he's calling out loudly to all sinners. A day where many are flocking to Christ. Many who are miserable in this life are now finding healing and mercy and freedom and forgiveness in his arms of mercy. How horrible for you to be left behind in such a day. To see others who are feasting in and rejoicing in the goodness of God while you are yet perishing. How can you continue one moment in your condition? To the young, do not neglect. To the young, do not neglect this season. You have a great opportunity to feast on the goodness of God and rescue others from the fury of hell's torment. But if you become apathetic, and you waste your days on your own pleasures, you will find the judgment of natural man falling upon you. To those in the room who have lived long, especially consider your days. Has your heart hardened to the love of God? Have your affections towards God grown cold? Have you been born again? Consider yourself. Wake out of your sleep. You cannot bear the fierceness of God's wrath. 
And if you're here today and you're out of Christ, you are hanging over the pit of hell, consider yourself. Whether you're young, you're old, you're man or woman, listen to the voice of God. Listen to Christ who is calling loudly to sinners. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Can you hear his call today? This is the acceptable time of the Lord. This is the day of his favor. Do not harden your heart. Do not allow your mind to become blind. And to those of you who are here today and you are in Christ and you love the Lord, consider John the Baptist. He was preparing the way of the Lord. He was out in the wilderness preparing, preparing the way of the Lord. Do not walk according to the ways of the religious leaders of the city, but go outside the city. Go out into the wilderness, outside the way of natural man. Go where Christ was crucified, outside of the city. Go into the wilderness and proclaim the way of salvation. Let your voice be heard. Let the power of the gospel be seen in great demonstration. Let your prayers and your worship ascend the heavenly heights. Today is not a day to sleep and grow apathetic. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who walk according to faith, that we walk according to righteousness, that we love the unlovely, we preach the word of God, and we give reason for our hope without shame. Life is a slippery slope. Don't be caught on the slope. Sliding into eternity without God. And don't allow those around you to go without hearing the hope of Christ. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, it's a challenging word that we don't often hear. It's a word of repentance. It's a word of challenge to the church. It's a word of challenge to the church to rise to the occasion. It's a word of repentance to the sinner. It's a word of repentance to the religious. Lord, we don't hear it often. But Lord, it's a reality. We're living, Father, in a day where people are crying peace and safety. We're living in a day, Lord, where people are crying out peace and safety and are lost in their sin, they're lost in their violence, they're lost, they're lost, they're lost, they're lost, and they're living on a slippery slope. Lord, we want to lean into you. Lord, we want to lean in. We want to find ourselves walking on a firm foundation, leaning into Christ. With every head bowed and eye closed, I sense this morning that maybe there are those here that you have been stirred in your heart as you've heard this word. You've been stirred in your heart maybe because you're religious. You've been stirred in your inner man because you find yourself religious with a heart that's grown apathetic to the Lord. And the reality of the danger of which you are in is falling upon you this morning. 
Maybe you're here this morning and the, and the reality of what you heard is shaking you to your core because you realize there are those around you who are perishing without Christ and you're not opening your mouth. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're shaking in your core because you realize today that you are one of those who are standing over the open mouth of hell's eternal fury and there's no hope for your soul. There's no rescue for your soul except that you come to Christ. You realize that you are on the slippery slope today and it is only the mercy of God that is sustaining you and holding you up. Everyone without Christ is condemned to judgment already. God is not sending you to hell in, 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 in the sense that He's an angry God sending everyone to hell. You are already condemned and He is making good on His promise of justice towards you. And He has provided a way of escape of eternal mercy towards you and that is His Son who became the ultimate sacrifice and bore the penalty of your sin on the cross of Calvary. The exact punishment for your sin was laid on Christ. The mercy of God that sustained you is the very mercy of God that condemned His own Son to death and torment on a cross. Don't reject His mercy. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. If you're here today and you're away from the Lord, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to heaven. No one goes to the Father. No one has a relationship with God except through Him. If you're here this morning, you would say, Pastor, I'm away from the Lord. I've never known the Lord. Maybe you've once prayed a prayer and you're away from Him today. Maybe you've grown religiously cold and apathetic to the Lord and God needs to come and you need to repent. Today, if you fit into any of those categories, I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. Pastor, that's me. I need to commit my life to the Lord. I'm away from God. I've grown religious and I don't want to be religious. I need the Lord in my life. Anyone this morning, just raise your hand this morning. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. How is it with your soul today? Day, friend. How is it between you and the Lord? God bless you. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else this morning? Just lift your hand right where you're at. God bless you. Anyone else? I'm away from God. I'm away from the Lord and I need to settle things in my heart before I go today. Anyone else? I've grown religious. My heart, my heart has grown cold. I do the right things. I do the outward religious duties, but my heart, my heart, my heart has grown cold to God. My heart has grown cold to God. Anyone this morning, anyone this morning, anyone else this morning, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.